Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone to public worship here today, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 51. It's found on page 67 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song, O my God, have mercy on me in your steadfast love I pray. In your infinite compassion my transgressions wipe away. Cleanse me from iniquity. Wash my sins away from me. For I know my own transgressions. I can see my sinful plight. You, you only, I have offended and done evil in your sight. So your words are verified and your verdict justified. We'll sing verses 1 to 12 of Psalm 51. Oh my God, have mercy on me. together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we gather here this day, on this beautiful day, we pray that we would acknowledge that you are not only the creator of every single one of us, 
But you are the God who so loved this world that you sent your only begotten Son into it that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have so many things to give thanks for but today we would give thanks for family bonds. We give thanks for the sound of little voices in our midst. They are gifts given to us by you. And they come with responsibilities. And we pray that this day as little Machir is baptized. That you would give Stephen and Hannah the ability to bring him up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We acknowledge that we fail you so often. The very song we have just been singing is a reminder that we haven't made the grade. But we come to a God who has entered into covenant with people and that covenant makes an accommodation for sin if only we will be upfront and honest with you because your word tells us that if we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we gather on this day the one day in seven that you have set apart not only for the public worship of your name but for the private worship as well But this day is a reminder causing us to look back to the creation of this world by you. But it's also a day that looks back to the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. But it looks forward also to the eternal rest that is afforded the people of God. We live in a restless world. We live in a world yearning for peace and contentment. And we are searching for it in so many wrong areas. May we realize that we can only find real contentment in God's remedy to the human plight. We can only find rest in Christ and in him alone. We pray that you'd remember us not just as a church but as a nation in the midst of all the political turmoil that we find ourselves in. We pray, O Lord, that you would raise up and exalt those who honour you. We pray for Kate and Ali and the family in the recent difficult times that they have faced. And we pray, O Lord, that uh, you would continue to strengthen them and that they would be a force for good for this nation that we live in. We pray that you'd be with us now as we further wait upon you. Give us what it takes to honour you in our being here today. And wherever our loved ones are across the globe this day, we pray that you'd be with them. And our earnest prayer is this, that we will not just be together in this world, but through trusting in Jesus as friend and saviour, we will all be together as well in the world that is to come. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now it's really good to see so many youngsters here and uh, I want to tell you a little story. This church was full to capacity on Wednesday because the school came over here for the Easter service. And on the way out, what we normally do is we give each child uh, one of these small Cadbury's cream eggs. And um, I went off to Tesco's over, one of the Tesco's over in the town, to get uh, to get the cream eggs for. We haven't done it for three years because of lockdown, but uh, I went off to Tesco's to buy the cream eggs, not just for this school, but for the other schools as well that I visited, visit Manlochy and uh, Evanton as well. So I went into Tesco's and I bought 440 cream eggs. And I came, I came to the till and there was this young boy, just a teenager on the till. And he couldn't help himself. It came to 154 quid. Uh, and he said, 154 quid and cream eggs. <laughs> and I couldn't but laugh at him because I was thinking, you're meant to be selling things in this shop, not putting me off. And, uh, and then I said to him, it's okay, it's okay. I said, I run a youth club. 
And that was it. I went off with my eggs. And, and it's only when I went home and started thinking about it that I thought, you know what, I told him a downright lie there. I didn't buy these eggs for the youth club at all. I bought them for the schools. And I'll tell you why I said I, I run a youth club, because, well, we do run youth clubs. And when I go into Tesco's and I buy piles of Coke and crisps and sweeties, sometimes the older ladies, they'll, they'll smile and they'll say, have you got a sweet tooth or do you like these? And I'll say, no, no, I run a youth club. And the thing is this, I get, I've gotten so used to just saying, oh, I run a youth club, that I went and told this young chap what was really a lie. And you know, as I think about that, the reason I did it was this. It was just pure force of habit. I've got into the habit of saying, oh, it's for the youth club. But it wasn't true. Now, we can do lots of things purely because it's the habit. And you know, for people to come along to church, I'm not saying it's not a good habit, because it is a good habit, but I really hope we're not here today just because it's a habit. I hope we are here today because we love the God of the Bible, the God who became a human being, who lived among us for 33 years, who suffered and died to save his people, and rose again triumphantly over the grave on the third day. I hope when we think about what we're doing here today that we will think, no, I'm not just here out of habit. I'm here because I really appreciate and I really love the Lord Jesus because it's he and he alone who can save me and get me into heaven. Now let's sing again to God's praise, this time in Psalm number 23. It's found on page... 229 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song The Lord's my shepherd I'll not want He makes me down to lie in pastures green He leadeth me the quiet waters by My soul he doth restore again And me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness Even for his own name's sake We'll sing the whole of the song to God's praise Psalm 23 at the beginning The Lord's my shepherd I'll not want
Now let's read God's word first of all in the book of Genesis and at chapter 17 at the beginning of the chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he and who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And we'll read in the New Testament as well in the Gospel according to St. Matthew and at chapter 28. And it's at the beginning of the chapter. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and see you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. And may God bless to us these readings from his word. Let's join together again in uh, prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we read these passages of scripture, we are just reminded of how honest the Bible is. These men were so ready to tell a lie, to cover up their unwholesome motives. Tell them the guards fell asleep and they stole the body and we will give you good money and see that all will be well with you. But at the end of the day, the hole in that proposition is just glaring at us this day. It's a reminder to us that every endeavour to bring to naught the ways of Christ will come to nothing. And we pray that we would remember why we are here this day because there is only one person in the whole of the history of the human race who made it clear, I will die but I will rise again. This being who kept telling the human race, I am the Son of God, who was laughed and mocked and scorned. We think of the ridicule of the scene at Calvary. But all that ridicule has gone with the empty grave. And we thank you that 40 days after he rose from the dead, he returned to heaven and he will come to this world once again. He will not come in lowliness. He will come and every, na- and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is indeed the Lord. We pray that every last one of us will have bowed our knees before that day, that even this very day we will have bowed before you and acknowledged that you are who you say you are. That we will have found refuge for our souls in the ways of God and in the remedy of God. And we pray that as we turn to the Bible this day afresh to explore it once more, that you'd come in amongst us, that you'd open our eyes and that we would understand what you are saying and that we would rejoice afresh in it. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise this time. It's in Psalm number 63, and that's on page 80 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of uh, the song. O God, you are my God alone. I seek your face with eagerness. My soul and body thirst for you in this dry, weary wilderness. I've seen you in your holy place. Your power and glory held my gaze. Far better is your love than life. And so my lips will sing your praise. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. O God, you are my God alone.
Now let's turn to one of the passages we've read from in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 28, and uh, the words of Jesus to his disciples in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of these words. We are not going to have time to cover everything, but I want us to look at some of them. Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus, prior to returning to heaven, 40 days after that resurrection, um, is telling his disciples what they must do. They must go, and they must baptize, and they must teach. And what we want to do today is, regarding this issue of baptizing, I want us to look back for a while, and then I, I want us to look forward. So these are the two things we're going to do today. We're going to look back and see where this whole thing of baptizing comes from and how it fits in and why we're going to do what we're going to do today. And then we're going to look forward. Okay, we're going to look back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And there we will read that God created the very first man and woman. He created Adam and he created Eve. And he made them perfectly. And he puts them into a garden and he basically says to them, Okay, it's yours. You do whatever you want with it. Now let's remember this. God was not mean. God was not restrictive. God was not niggardly in any way, shape or form. He basically said, It's yours. Do what you want with it. Except there's one tree in the midst of the garden... He called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, I don't want you to eat of the fruit of that a tree. It was a test that God gave to the very first man and uh, the very first woman. Now it wasn't as if God kind of pulled the wool over their eyes and never made things clear to them because he went on and he said this, The day you eat of the fruit thereof you shall surely die. So they knew what they were about. And up until the point of them eating the forbidden fruit, they were in communion with God. God looked at them and he loved what he saw, and they looked at God and they loved what they saw, and there was interaction and interfellowship and communion. All was well, both ways. But the moment that they disobeyed God, the moment they ate the fruit of the tree, God did something. He severed the connection. They became what we might call spiritually dead people. And the communion and the interaction and the togetherness is over. And God underscores that and he reiterates that by putting them out of the garden and putting a cherubim, or cherubim at the entrance of the garden with a flaming sword that goes in all directions. And that's to convey to us this idea, you're out and in and of yourselves there is no way back into God. Now that doesn't make for encouraging reading. That doesn't make for any hope for Adam and Eve. And of course here we are today and we are all children of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They fell. And uh, because of that we don't need any kind of education in rebelling against God. Even the youngest children, they know what it is to throw a tantrum and to want to go their own way. And we don't need any kind of Education as far as rebelling against uh, God. Now that's the way it was, but God didn't just do that. God said to them as he put them out of the garden, there is going to be born into your family tree a child. 
And that child is going to defeat the one who has been behind this whole agenda. And of course the one behind the whole agenda was Satan, the devil, the demon. He gave this ray of hope even in the darkness of the moment that there was going to be somebody out there in the history of the human race who was going to defeat the enemy. Now let's remember this that part of the consequence of being put out of the garden wasn't just spiritual death. There is another death and I think I could call it physical death. It's when our bodies and souls separate. And that is intimately tied up with our spiritual death. Now there's a third meaning to the word death in scripture and it's eternal death. It's when those who end up in hell go to the place of the second death. But that's not the only destination for the human race that we come across in the words that God has given to us as a human race in this book the Bible because as well as hell there is heaven set before us and there's this great choice that we have to make as to whether we go the way that will honour God or the way that will honour ourselves and we've just been reading about the only person in the history of the human race who said you know what I am going to die but I'm going to come back I'm going to master it Now Jesus said that and they ridiculed him and they mocked him and they scorned him. Don't be ridiculous. And the fact of the matter is this, that even his best friends didn't believe him. That's why everybody is taken aback by the empty tomb. That very first Easter Sunday morning, everybody is agog. And many of them shouldn't have been. But the reason they were agog was this. They didn't listen to him. And you know what? It's not just they who have that kind of problem. You know, Here we are in the 21st century and we are here hopefully as believers. But you know what part of our problem is? We will not listen to this person. As he spells out so many things for us. We decide no, 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 no. I know better and I'll go my own way and we'll do our own thing. And there are always consequences to that. But here is the only person in the history of the human race. Who said I'm going to master it. And the reason you and I are here today is because. There is an empty tomb in the land of Israel. Forty days after that empty tomb, this resurrected Christ went to a little village called Bethany and he returned to heaven. He has been there ever since, but he did say, you know what, I'm coming again. I'm going to visit planet earth once more. Now when Jesus came the first time, 2023 years ago, born in the stable in Bethlehem, the world pretty much didn't know. And the world that did know pretty much ignored him. Even at 30 years old, when he begins to do astonishing miracles, the church of the day says, you're a liar, you're a deceiver, and it's the devil who motivates you. He was written off. But he will not be written off when he comes for a second time. He has told us this, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that word Lord means master. And it's not just that he's a master in the sense of being superior to other human beings. He is master in this sense. He is the eternal God become a human being. For a particular reason. Now these are kind of mind blowing things. And these are things that we don't fully understand. But you know what? There is nothing unusual. About us believing things that we don't fully understand. Nothing unusual about that. And nobody here today is saying. We understand all of this. Because we don't. Only God fully understands uh, everything. 
But you know what? When Jesus comes back to this world for a second time, my hope and prayer is this. We are all going to bow the knee. Every last one of us. Let's make sure it isn't the first time that we've bowed the knee. Because if it is, it's too late to be saved. We need to bow the knee before Christ the King in this world here and now. And there's no reason in all the world why we shouldn't. Because you know what? Our opening song today was about someone really struggling with who he was. And what was he? He was a sinner. He had iniquity. He had transgression. He had trespasses in his life. There's nothing unfamiliar about that to any of us. Because if we're upfront and honest with ourselves and with God, we know that we've pretty much messed up life. And where does that leave us? Well, it basically leaves us with a big problem because this God is the same God who in the Garden of Eden, speaking to Adam and Eve, was a holy God. He hasn't changed. And I think we know that anyway. Nobody needs to tell us that. You know, one of the biggest problems for the human race is this. I know that God knows absolutely everything about me. And that creates a massive problem. And if you're anything like me, you'll have tried to sort it out in and off yourselves, yourself. But we don't need to go down that road because we can't sort it out in and of ourselves. I know we try. But you know what? We don't have to sort it out ourselves. God has done it for us if we're only willing to listen to him. God gives us salvation as a gift. And that's the astonishing thing about this revelation that God has given to the human race. Now this revelation he has given to us doesn't tell us everything that God spoke to every human being in the history of the world. He's chosen what he's going to give us. For example, Adam and Eve had a son called Abel. And Abel listened to what God had to say about worshipping him. And he worshipped God in the right kind of way. And God accepted his worship. Now what all did God say to Abel? We're not told at all. But there is one thing about God's revelation to the human race and it's this, it's progressive. He doesn't give it all at once. He gives it in stages. So you've got 4,000 years ago, you've got a man who lives in what we today would call southern Iraq and it's a very religious community. It worships all kinds of gods and God comes to this man called Abraham and he says, I want you to worship me. I want you to turn your back on all this paganism and all these false gods. And of course, Abraham, Abraham rather, has options. He can say, no, 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 I'll do my own thing. I'm quite happy with life the way things are. Or he can listen and he can bow and he can obey. And that is what he did. He said, I'll have you as my God. But it's a two-way thing. Abraham will have God, Jehovah, the God of the Bible as his God. And the God of the Bible will have this man as his person, as his individual. And so they engage in a relationship. There's a bond, there's a covenant. And then God says to him this. I want you to put my mark on your children, at least on your male children. And the mark is the is the mark of uh, circumcision. And it's a reminder to us of this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We've just been singing the song, The Lord is my shepherd. Any shepherd worthy of the name shepherd will have his mark on his or her sheep. It's the same with the great shepherd. He puts his mark on his people. And that's the way it is. Right up until 2,000 years ago, or to be more accurate, 2,023 years ago when Jesus was born in the stable in Bethlehem. And for 30 years, he's almost unknown and then he begins three years of public ministry that culminates in him being executed at the age of 33. But he triumphs over death and the grave. And prior to returning to heaven, he changes this whole notion of putting a mark 
on his people. No longer will it be circumcision. It's now going to be baptism. In the Old Testament there was the great festival of the Passover. That in New Testament times has given way to what we would call communion, the Lord's Supper, in some churches called the Eucharist. That has taken over from the Passover. But as far as circumcision is concerned, that has given way to what we would now call a baptism. And so basically as we look back today, we're looking back to the very beginning of time, a way back to Adam and Eve and the specific promises that are made to them. And further in the progress of God's revelation to the human race, the covenant he made with Abraham and the mark that was put on Abraham and his children. That all changes with the coming of Jesus into this world. He is the promised one of the beginning of uh, Genesis. He is God come as a human being. Now he comes to do something in particular. What he comes to do is this. He comes to wash away the sins and the stains and the rebellions and the transgressions of those who believe in him. Now in the New Testament, baptism is tied up with this whole notion of washing. The New Testament will speak about the washing of regeneration. And there is this intimate bond, this symbolism that points to washing. Now that's not any different to what went on in the Old Testament. Because when God instructed Abraham to circumcise... It's not as if circumcision was something new to the human race because it wasn't. It was practiced in certain areas of the world purely because of hygiene. It was this idea of removing that which was unclean. The whole symbolism of circumcision and baptism are exactly the same. It is to get rid of something that is unclean. You know, when your children come in from maybe they're out in a farm or maybe they've been in a sandpit or something and, or in the gutters or something like that, if they come in for something to eat, they're, they're sent to wash their hands and they get their hands under the tap and maybe they add some soap and they give them a good clean under water, just washes away all the grime and the dirt and they're ready to get to tuck into whatever is before them. It's the same idea exactly with baptism. You know, I remember once getting into really serious trouble with a parent because I said at one of the clubs, I said at one of the clubs that uh, sin is like getting a black mark on your soul. And that's exactly what it is. Because any of our outward acts or words and even thoughts, they come from within us. They come from our souls. And every time we do say or think something that's in rebellion against God, it's as if we're adding to the griminess of our souls. And she was so offended that I would suggest that her child was anything but innocent. I've never met an innocent child. I wasn't an innocent child. I think it's good in life's journey to be upfront and honest with ourselves. I think it is good before God to put our hands up today and say, I know that you know everything about me, and I know that you know there's an awful lot of grime. But here's the thing we have to remember. Even with God knowing that, God sent his son into this world so that the griminess of our souls could be washed away. That is the music of the gospel. That is the thrill of the gospel. That is the gift of the gospel. And you know, we need to stop and ponder that. And to take it on board. And it's not just we who are here today that need to stop and ponder that. The human race needs to stop and take that on board. To really ponder it. 
Because you know at the end of the day we live in a very, very religious world. This person believes in this God and that person believes in that God and there are gods all over the place. And there are people who are desperately trying to get themselves up to the level whereby they will be saved by whatever God they believe in. And what I'm basically saying is this. You can't do it. You haven't got what it takes. But we don't need to do it. Because this is what makes the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth unique in this world. Instead of telling the human race, you know what, you get to get yourselves up to this level. He stoops down into the murky waters of a fallen world and he says, I'll take you as you are. I'll save you as you are in all your sin and grime and misery. That is the music of the gospel. And that is why we are here today. And this Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be on the scene anymore. I'm returning to heaven. But it's your duty to go out there and to tell the human race about this glorious message. You've got to go out there and you've got to tell them that all their sins can be washed away and the symbolism of it all is to be enshrined in this act of baptism. Now I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of mode of baptism. Some people want to put their children or want to put adults under the, under the water. Others just sprinkle. Today we will sprinkle because in the Old Testament uh, the word for baptism is used of the furniture of the temple. It was most certainly not submerged it was sprinkled so I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of modes today as long as we get into the heart of what it's about now I know there are some churches that will not baptize uh, children let me just say a little bit about that when Abraham's son was six days old God said to him now Abraham you're going to put my mark on your child now Abraham has options. He's, he's going to be able to say to God, but he's only eight days old. He doesn't understand what this is all about. But Abraham didn't do that. Abraham said, you are God. I'm listening to you and I'm just going to do your bidding. Even if I don't grasp everything that's going on, that's what I'm going to do. And nobody today is saying that a little marker is grasping what's going on today. Nobody is saying that at all. But Stephen and Hannah are going to do the God they believe in's bidding. And that's a good thing. And that is a wholesome thing. You know, as we look at the change from Old Testament times to New Testament times, there's a general pattern, and it's a pattern of moving on to something that is better. Let me give you some examples of it. The, the, the knowledge that God gives to Old Testament readers of his word is very limited compared to those that have the New Testament. The New Testament opens up things that the Old Testament saints had not a great deal of light on. It moves on to something broader and something better. In the Old Testament there were a group of people and they could be priests. In the New Testament every believer is a priest. In the Old Testament there were specific sacrifices that you could give to God. In the New Testament we all give a, the sacrifice of a life of obedience uh, to God. In the Old Testament it was the Jews who were the people of God. We are all, well I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us here today are non-Jews. We are Gentiles. But salvation has come to the Gentiles as well. I suppose to put it in a nutshell, let me just say this. When God dealt with Abraham, he dealt with Abraham in a family way. The family is included in this bond, in this covenant. If the family is now excluded, we are looking for God to give us very clear direction on the matter. And we're looking for God to say, okay, the, kid, the children are out now. It's different. He never ever does that. 
we read of households in the New Testament and they were baptized it would be strange if all the households that were coming to Christ in New Testament days had no children in them what I'm driving at is this the children are included the children are included now we've had so many baptisms this last while and that's a great thing and we do them all individually and I feel I'm saying things that I've said already but they will bear saying again they will bear saying again children are gifts from God they are wonderful gifts from God but they do come with a high degree of responsibility and you know as I go in and out of the community I meet people who are really good parents they want the best for their children. They want them to have the best of health. They want them to have the best of education. They want them to have one of the best jobs. They want them to have a good house. They want to have a, a good income. They want all these things. And there is nothing in all this world wrong with that. Nothing. But what many of them leave out is this. That these children have never dying souls. And these children, like all the rest of us, gain grime on their souls. And these children need, above everything else, to have Christ, who is the great washer away of grime on souls. They need that just as much as any of the rest of us. I do have some wrong thinking on this issue at times. Sometimes I wish that I could make the decision about a relationship with Christ on behalf of other people. But it doesn't work that way. You cannot be saved by proxy. It's a one-to-one -one thing. It's a one-to-one. -one. So where does that leave us if we cannot, by proxy, save our children? Well, it leaves us in this boat. That the best gift we can give to any child is to live a life before them, depending ourselves on Christ. To let them know that we have fled to Jesus as our Saviour. To let them know that we're not perfect people, that we're flawed. To let them know that we've got grime in our souls, but we've turned to God's way of dealing with it. And so there will be baptismal vows taken today and Stephen and Hannah will vow that they will bring little Machar up in the fear and the respect or the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That is the greatest gift that any parents could give to a child. Now I just want to qualify that. Does it mean that parents who have taken baptismal vows have lived perfect lives in front of their children? I think that we want to run and bury our heads with shame, many of us here today, because we have failed so often in fulfilling our baptismal vows. But we've got to remember this. The covenant God made with Abraham did not mean that Abraham never ever sinned again because he did. We've got records of it. But what he did when he sinned was this he turned to God and he said, I've messed up again. Have mercy on my soul. And hopefully he taught that to his children as well. And that's what we've got to do as well. We've got to be upfront and honest with those that we are taking baptismal vows on behalf of. We show them what it is not to live perfect lives because we don't live perfect lives. But we show them what it is to drive each day to seek to honour the Christ who saves sinners. That is the best gift that can be bestowed upon a child. I said we were looking back. We're looking forward. I've touched on it already. This Christ will come again to this world for a second time. And we're all going to be there. From Macher to the oldest person here, we are all going to meet him. And we are told that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There will be no question about who Christ is then. But the crucial thing is this. 
We've got to bow the knee before that day if we're ever going to get into heaven. Because bowing the knee before that day means that we acknowledge that he is who he is. God come as a human being to pay the price of our sins. That is the beauty and that is the glory of the salvation that is found in Christ. And so I hope that we are all here this day already bowing the knee to Christ the King. Let's sing to God's praise in Psalm 103. And whilst uh, we sing, the other children can come down uh, from, uh, from, from the crash. It's Psalm 103, and it's at the beginning of the song. And, and might I just say this, if the young ones want to come down the front to see the baptism, they can do that. Uh, feel free to come down during, during the singing. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. already had our warrant for baptism I've been preaching on that uh, in the sermon today so we will uh, move on to the actual baptism itself so if the congregation could please be uh, upstanding do you believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God I 
Do you believe that Jesus is the only saviour of sinners? Do you promise to bring Machar up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? Machar Wilson, I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. He's smiling at me. <laughs> Let's have a wee prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of Machar. We thank you for the gift of all the children in this church today. We thank you for the gift of the Bible. May we listen to you. And may we accept your way of dealing with the plight that we find ourselves in. We pray that you'd give Hannah and Stephen the grace and the ability to bring up Machar to respect you and to honour you. And we pray that we would have great expectations, often because of the blessings that are coming his way. Please watch over us all and please help us each and every day of life's journey to honour you in the way that you are meant to be honoured. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, folks, we're going to finish off by singing in Psalm 72 at verse 17, His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. We'll sing verses 17 to the end. Let's stand to sing his name forever. forevermore.